Bonjour my friend and welcome to the Come to Friends with Me podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Gauthier, talking to you from Normandy in France. Today on Come to Friends with Me, we're going to talk about the most famous cathedral in France, if not the world, Notre Dame de Paris. Then I'll tell you a bit about the little cakes called éclairs. And lastly, we'll make space for gratitude. Allons-y! The Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris is no doubt one of the most famous religious sites in the world. In addition to the religious weight of this imposing building, its historical significance shouldn't be overlooked. I started off writing the script for this segment thinking I would give you a historical overview of Notre Dame's life. I soon realized it was not the best way to use this time together. There are countless ways for you to learn about the history of the cathedral. Thousands of articles, books and movies have already explained Notre Dame so much better than I could hear. The only way I can give you a useful glimpse into Notre Dame is to share what's uniquely inside me in relation to it. The first notable tidbit is that every time I visit Notre Dame, I get this feeling of steadfast strength. I wonder how much it weighs. We could probably figure it out. Limestone for the walls and pillars, oak for the roof and spire frame, lead for the roof cover, and stained glass windows. Regardless of the actual number of tons, every time I have stood in this building, I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that it was not going anywhere. Spending just a few quiet minutes sitting on a bench within these walls quickly confers a sense of comfort and calm. And it has nothing to do with believing in God or following the teachings of Jesus. I think the collective consciousness of all the people involved in creating, reshaping and maintaining this building over so many decades, the thousands of architects, engineers, stonecutters, woodworkers, sculptors, painters, and so many more, That consciousness has surely imparted Notre Dame with a special concentration of human wisdom. And it's that wisdom that we can feel seeping through if we can just stop and be quiet for a moment. That feeling is so comforting and nurturing to me. When I experience it, I'm reminded that so many hardworking, smart and wise people came before me. Together, They created this magnificent cathedral by allying their respective strengths and translating an abstract vision into a work of art and science of truly epic proportions. Feeling this helps me to remember that I have a lot of work to do, that my life matters because I have a mission, a purpose, however tiny, and that it is my duty to make that purpose manifest in a tangible form before I am no longer here. Sitting there reminds me that my own cathedral is taking shape as each day goes by, and it's my responsibility to make it as beautiful and as meaningful as possible. I must remember this. Like most monuments with such a long history, Notre Dame is a living building. It has evolved and transformed over the years, over the centuries in fact. This very evolution is what has allowed it to survive. The decision to build it, 
and to maintain it through such a long period of time, in spite of historical circumstances that were not always favorable, is a decision worth looking into. Because it's truly sobering to think that what we see today is an 850-year-old survivor. The proof, if ever there was one, that an idea can persist and even grow through countless seemingly unsurmountable obstacles. Notre-Dame witnessed regime changes, budgetary difficulties, even devastating wars, and still it stands. To me, it stands as a massive, inspiring cheerleader. These days, we stand by its wounded side. The accidental fire that destroyed its spire and a large portion of its roof in the spring of 2019 has deeply moved many of us around the world. Yet, when we zoom out and put this event in perspective of its very long life, it is truly not as devastating as we might consider it to be. For instance, in 1845, Eugène Viollet-le-Duc and Jean-Baptiste Lassus undertook the restoration of the monument that had been sorely neglected and had fallen into disrepair after the 1789 revolution. The spire that burned and collapsed in 2019 was the one that they had built after the previous one collapsed in 1792. Just like our own human body, Notre Dame evolves, its strength rises and wanes, its beauty fades and shines again. This latest setback has brought Notre Dame's power to our attention once more. It has reminded us of our common values. It has rallied us towards a common goal. Now that Notre Dame is close to the public for the foreseeable future, I still enjoy sitting in front of it, admiring its portal, its towers, and all the details that make it so magnificent. I also enjoy thinking about its steadfastness, a truly beautiful building inside and out. What about you? Have you visited Notre Dame? What moves you about it? Let me know. That being said, what do you snack after walking around to admire Notre Dame? May I suggest a chocolate éclair? Or would you prefer your éclair coffee flavored? Éclairs are one of the most basic French pastries. If you've never seen one, they look like a six-inch log. They are made with puff pastry, filled with cream, and topped with a thin layer of icing. Behind the deceivingly modest-looking éclair, though, is quite a delicate alchemy. Three components are required to create an éclair. Patachou, which will provide the structure, crème pâtissière, or pastry cream, which will fill the structure, and glaçage, which will cover the top of the éclair. Each of these three elements has its particular and contrasting characteristics. To me, that's what makes the éclair such an interesting and delicious pastry, despite its simple appearance. It's one of those pastries that's such a staple that every bakery has them, and you can also find a more or less industrial version in most supermarkets. The éclair is commonly one of the couple of dessert choices when you buy a to-go lunch combo at the bakery. Back when I lived in Auckland a few years ago, I decided I would make some one Sunday afternoon. 
It's really not that difficult, just a bit time-consuming. You need a healthy supply of the usual basic ingredients. Eggs, butter, flour, sugar, milk, vanilla extract, and chocolate or coffee depending on your preference. Some pastry shops go off the beaten path and offer raspberry, lemon, or caramel eclairs. So if you're feeling adventurous, go for it. The sky is the limit. Here in France, there's really no point in spending the time making them, as you can walk to any corner bakery and get instant, delicious, and cheap gratification. However, I think it would be quite a lot of fun to get together on Zoom and make a batch together. Get in touch if you'd like to make them with me. I have so much to be grateful for every day. The trick is to remember it every day. Always have shelter, more than enough food, unlimited electricity as well as running water, hot and cold on demand, mind you, an able and healthy body, loving family members and friends around me, access to more information that I could possibly process in a lifetime. I'm literally swimming in abundance. So why is it often difficult to remember it? Do I just chalk it up to human nature, or my nature in particular? I do believe that we can train our brain and tackle that annoying negativity bias that keeps inviting us to focus on the problems rather than all that's going well. That's why I started writing about gratitude regularly over a decade ago. That, as well as other mindfulness practices, slowly helps me have a more peaceful, if not always more optimistic, outlook on life. There are many ways to practice gratitude, and like with other things, we have to find a way that works for us. Listing three things I'm grateful for every day doesn't work for more than a few days in a row at a time for me. I don't have the discipline or predictable schedule that fit with that kind of practice. Also, after a few days, the exercise feels rote, stale, and forced to me. My practice has evolved over the years, and regardless of the actual way I include gratitude in my life, after a while, I did notice that my mindset has changed. I did notice that I'm less easily overwhelmed by disappointment, sadness, and fear. Miscellaneous everyday grievances take less a hold of my mood, and I'm definitely a glass-half-full type of person nowadays. That's definitely something to be grateful for in itself. In addition to noticing all the things that are already present in my life, being grateful and having a positive mindset helped me carry that outlook when I envisioned the future. I'm excited about all the experiences that I have yet to live, all the friends I have yet to meet, all the books I have yet to read. Being grateful helps me remember how precious the time I have is and reminds me to use it as wisely as I possibly can. That's not to say life should be an endless to-do list, of course. The key, I think, is to live a mindful life, to know that I have a lot of choices and agency in how I can live, both in active and in restful moments. I'm most definitely grateful that sometimes I can choose to lay on my bed and stare at the ceiling while my mind wanders. Isn't that an amazing luxury? 
So however that looks for you, I would definitely encourage you to include a bit of gratitude in your life. I have experienced firsthand that it does make it better. I'm curious, do you have a gratitude practice? I'd love to know what that looks like for you, so let me know. Well, that's it for today. I've enjoyed sharing my little vignettes of friends with you again. I hope you enjoyed it as well, and I appreciate your time. If there's a particular friends-related topic you'd like me to talk about, send me a message. I'd love to know what that is. Next week, we'll go to Normandy, and I'll share a bit of my experience at the Mont Saint-Michel with you. It's one of my favorite spots in the world. In the meantime, take good care of yourself. Au revoir.